Tegan, I'm looking at the weather forecast for Monday in Des Moines, Iowa. Chris, I've heard it's going to be cold. The high is going to be negative three. The low is minus 16. What would be the lowest temperature that you would be willing to, and God only knows what the snow condition is going to be like. How low would you go if you were an Iowa resident to go join a caucus? Well, Chris, you've known me for many years and cold doesn't really bother me that much, but I know that not everyone is like that. I would guess it's going to impact turnout probably a decent amount. It's pretty remarkable. Minus anything is cold. Very cold. And I'm assuming, I mean, I, I don't know how one judges this kind of thing in advance. I guess we'll know the answer afterwards. But my non meteorological belief is that bad weather hurts Haley and DeSantis more than Trump. The Trump voters, they'll go through trucks, they'll go through walls, they'll do whatever, they'll build a wall. But I feel like the bad weather is likely to affect them less than the Haley and DeSantis voters. Of course, that is based on no actual evidence, just speculation. You know, we're going to be seeing this weekend Ann Seltzer's poll, which is frequently referred to as the gold standard of polls, particularly those in Iowa. And it's going to come out this weekend and people are going to be wondering, does Donald Trump have any kind of race on his hands at all? Where's Nikki Haley? Is she ahead of Ron DeSantis, which seems some other polls have found? That's what we're going to be looking at. But keep in mind, what was interesting is that if you go back to the 2016 race, when Trump was running, Trump was predicted by Ann Seltzer's poll, the gold standard of polling. I think he was like eight or nine points ahead of Ted Cruz. And he went on to lose the Iowa caucuses to Ted Cruz that year, which was interesting. So there are potentially surprises here. I think your point is a great one, which is the weather really could. It's hard enough to determine who's going to come out to a caucus. I don't know if they ask you, well, what if it's minus three degrees? It's really hard to get that kind of polling. So I don't know if it's that good, but I will tell you who did end up with something good, who got their wish. That's the anti-Trump Republicans going into the Iowa caucus. There are basically only two candidates left who aren't Trump, though it appears someone forgot to tell Vivek Ramaswamy and Asa Hutchinson about that. Politico Playbook described Wednesday's debate as the split screen. Haley's uphill battle was on full display with the CNN-Iowa debate and Fox News town hall with Trump. While she and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis spent two hours attacking each other, Trump was already pivoting to general election messaging. Did you watch the Iowa debate on Wednesday night? I was on a plane. I did not get to see either. But I have to say, of the clips that came after, I saw far more links to things that Donald Trump said on his Fox News town hall than I did at the debate between DeSantis and Haley. I mean, I think that most people that I've read their analysis or that I've heard from who watched it, they thought DeSantis probably did slightly better. But who knows? It was mostly a food fight where they're emptying their opposition playbooks at each other and just trying to dump on each other. Sounds like I didn't miss much, to be honest. Well, unless you like watching food fights, you missed two things. One was the food fight. The Washington Post described the event as Haley, DeSantis bicker. You also missed, apparently there's a new website out there. I've heard rumors, DeSantisLies.com. I did hear about that one. Imagine that. One politician calling their opponent a liar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I have not checked it out. I, I should. So in the clips that you saw from the CNN debate, as opposed to the Fox town hall, Did you see a 2024 Republican presidential nominee on the CNN stage? I did not see them on the CNN stage. I might have seen one on the Fox News stage. 
I think really what overshadowed the entire debate was the news that Chris Christie was exiting the race, obviously. Did it overshadow it or was it largely irrelevant? I think it's actually very relevant. I'm not saying that Chris Christie has a great chance or had a great chance in any way or that he has a lot of support. But of the two on the stage, there's only one that I think has any chance, and that's Nikki Haley. I really don't think Ron DeSantis has any chance. Her path is extremely narrow, probably impossible. But the path is this. If she somehow defeats Ron DeSantis in the Iowa caucuses, meaning that she comes in second, Donald Trump wins, she comes in second and really kind of buries DeSantis that he's a distant third, and that she goes into New Hampshire the next contest and she wins the New Hampshire primary and defeats Trump. And that's made possible because Chris Christie on the eve of the primary endorses Nikki Haley, let's just pretend. Then she does potentially have a chance because the next state is her home state of South Carolina. And while every poll shows Donald Trump way ahead of Nikki Haley, even in her home state at this point, those things change. I mean, as these contests get moving, if it is seen to be a two-person race between Trump and Haley, you could see a path for Nikki Haley, even though it seems impossible today. But I really don't see any path for Ron DeSantis at this point. The best he's going to do is not do as terribly as people think. And that's not a great position to be in. Ask Joe Biden if South Carolina can offer a turning point for a campaign. No, exactly. Obviously, a different party, different time, different candidate, but it's the type of thing, the way that these contests are scheduled really does impact the race. And, you know, when if you've got a month between Iowa and South Carolina, a lot can happen in terms of the narrative and all the rest. You've got the Republican frontrunner who is more in courtrooms these days than he is on the campaign trail. And, you know, you never know how those things are going to play out. There's a lot of wild cards right here. I'm not saying Nikki Haley's going to win this race. I don't even think she's potentially going to come close, but she has more of a chance, I think, than anybody else. Why is she trailing so badly in her home state? I think it just shows that Donald Trump really has the heart of the Republican Party, what the Republican Party has become. It was a column this week from uh, Jonathan Martin at Politico, kind of who followed Nikki Haley around. And he made the interesting observation that of the enthusiastic supporters of Nikki Haley, he couldn't find one who had not attended college. They were all college-educated voters, college-educated Republicans who were backing Nikki Haley. That is not Donald Trump's support. That is not where it comes from. That's not his base. Trump famously appeals to non-college-educated voters, particularly rural voters, people who kind of feel much more disconnected from the environment. So I find it very hard to believe that Nikki Haley or anyone else, for that matter, can win over that Trump support. He's got such enthusiasm among his base in the Republican Party that it's going to be hard for anybody to defeat him. And that was really where DeSantis hit Haley in the Iowa debate as well on two fronts. One, in terms of her doing the bidding of the donor class, that she's in their pocket and does whatever they say and really aligning her with the elites. Also, in terms of education, I think DeSantis made that same point that Haley doesn't get support. He may have even asked something like, you know, how many of your supporters don't have a college education? something like that. And I wondered why Haley didn't ask DeSantis in that moment, I'm sorry, Ron, where did you go to college? Where did you get your law degree? DeSantis seems to be representing the non-college attending 
voters. And I don't understand why somebody doesn't make a bigger deal out of where he was educated, much like Ted Cruz. Or Josh Hawley or Elise Stefanik. I mean, yes, it's like yes. all over the all over the map. You Josh have these Hawley, conservative yes. Republicans trying to distance themselves from their elite educations, you know, which they all, of course, pursued because they saw this path in politics in that that was the way to go. They would not have thought years ago that somehow they'd be distancing themselves from all of that. But it really says a ton about the Republican Party, where the Republican Party is going. I mean, when we were growing up, the Republican Party was the party of the elites. And now well, these when you were growing up, when you were growing up, the Republican Party was headed by Abraham Lincoln. I am a little older than you. Not that much so. Not enough. And and looking at you here on the screen, you've got pretty much just as much gray hair as I do. So what it does say, though, over the course of our lifetime, it's pretty interesting, is that the Republican Party has completely transformed itself. And Liz Cheney came out this week in a really interesting interview that she gave on The View of all places, where she's talking about the book that she's written, but she thinks the Republican Party is done. She thinks after 2024, the Republican Party will be done. It will no longer be what it was or what it is currently. It will break apart and that there will be a new conservative party that will be birthed out of this mess. And it's pretty interesting. As you know, it's something that I've been talking about for more than a decade. I think that's happening. I think we've seen that happening. It was just interesting to see someone with the last name Cheney say the same thing. My question would be, how big is that splinter Republican Party? And here's why I asked that. After Christie dropped out the other day, you sent me the Stuart Stevens tweet, quote, with Chris Christie out of the race, every remaining Republican candidate has pledged to support Donald Trump, even if convicted of felony for insurrection. Think about that. You can't reason with that or compromise with it. You can only defeat it. The party is lost. For all those donors who want to convince themselves Nikki Haley is their methadone for a Trump addiction, remember that when she endorses and campaigns for Trump. Then, Wednesday night, after the Iowa debate, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, who's endorsed Nikki Haley, went on CNN and ended up saying he would vote for Donald Trump if he's the Republican nominee, even if Trump's a convicted felon. So when we and others, like Liz Cheney, have spoken about a split Republican Party, do we actually mean the party is split between three people on one side, Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, and Adam Kinzinger, and the entire rest of the party on the other side? Is it really a fair split? It's an interesting question. I'm not sure exactly where the split is or how big it is. I do think that if the Republican Party does go the way Liz Cheney thinks it's going to go, that what reforms in this new conservative party that she talks about will probably be a little different than she thinks it is, because I think that new party will probably draw some from Democrats as well. Because, well, I think the Democrats have much more ideological consistency than the Republicans. I think there would be some interest in joining some new party that is kind of back to basics, policy focused, you know, much more economically conservative type party. But we'll see what happens with that. I'm not sure how big that split is. I'm also not sure of the populist nationalist side that Donald Trump represents. I really wonder how much of that party will still linger on once Trump is no longer on the stage. He won't be here forever. And I really don't see anyone waiting in the wings who's going to grab that mantle and be successful with it. Well, Ron DeSantis is wondering the same question, and he's, he's ready to grab it. He might not be successful, but I think that's exactly the question that he's asking. My question is, just in listening to you and thinking about the language, is split the word that we should be using, because that gives the sense of 50-50 or 60-40 or something you know, reasonable. Is it a split or a takeover? It's more of a takeover. 
Stu Stevens, his tweet was really, really interesting. And it really does show you how, for whatever you may think about Joe Biden, this election really isn't going to be about Joe Biden versus likely Donald Trump. This is going to be a very different election. It's going to be an election about democracy or not at the end of the day. And when you have Stu Stevens, who was Mitt Romney's chief strategist, essentially saying he's going to vote for Joe Biden because that's the choice that we're given, and that Liz Cheney will not rule out voting for Joe Biden either, I would not be surprised at all that Chris Christie comes out and endorses Joe Biden at some point in this race. When you have Republican figures like that who could move towards voting for a Democrat who was actually governed as a liberal Democrat, it shows you how dire things really are between the two parties. But then you've got a Chris Sununu who says he'll vote for Trump. And I got to tell you, it feels like there are more Chris Sununus out there. You know, we talk about Liz Cheney and Kinzinger and Mitt Romney and Stu Stevens and the people that we see on The View or read on Twitter. But I wonder if there aren't more Chris Sununus within the Republican Party, the people who significantly dislike or even hate Biden so much to the extent that I don't know that they see it in terms of the viability of democracy. I've had plenty of people when I ask them about that question who just kind of scoff and are like, you know, come on, be serious. I believe there are a significant number of people, and Chris Anunu kind of came out and represented that group, who don't really take that threat to democracy seriously. Okay. So Chris, what is the difference between Chris Sununu and Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, and Chris Christie? He's still active in politics. He still needs Republican votes. He, aren't there more still... of those people than the out-of-work Republicans? We'll see. If Liz Cheney's right in a third party, a, a new party emerges out of this wreckage, because I really do think it's a wreckage. I think what's going to happen to the Republican Party through this is that it will be completely torn apart. So there was a takeover at one point, but it will be completely torn apart at some point. I have, and I know you have, friends who consider themselves former Republicans. Are they Democrats right now? They're not really. They're looking for some party. They're looking for some candidate. You know, a good friend of mine, as you know, was in New Hampshire almost every week over the last three months helping Chris Christie in his campaign because it was the one Republican candidate that he could get behind, someone who was opposed to what Donald Trump stood for. And he texted me yesterday after Christie dropped out of the race. He goes, I need to see a therapist because he really thought Chris Christie was his way of remaining a Republican, keeping some of that identity he's had for all of these years and still being involved and actively involved in the political process, which he loves. And that just kind of went away. He doesn't know what he would do at this point, but ultimately he said, oh, yeah, I'll vote for Biden. It's not ideal, but he's not going to vote for Donald Trump. He needed a therapist, but you were all he could afford. Exactly. I'm much more of a political analyst than anything else. But yeah, free advice or advice, five cents. Yeah, just uh, like Lucy and the Peanuts. Yeah. Uh, Which, by the way, shows our age, the fact that we both know. I bet you our children don't understand that reference at all. Uh, yeah, I, I bet not either. So let's segue away from it. Here's the other thing that people don't know Where are the GOP senators? When are they going to start coming out? Pressure is building. There was a piece in the Texas Tribune, pressure building on Ted Cruz, questions about the other GOP senators. When do they start coming out and endorsing a candidate? Well, we did see this week John Barrasso from Wyoming. He came out and endorsed Trump. 
But yeah, there's quite a few of them who are basically just standing by. And according to reports, Donald Trump is paying attention. He's paying attention to who comes out and endorses him before the Iowa caucuses. So we might see some more endorsements this weekend. We're not going to see Mitch McConnell. We're probably not going to see John Thune, even though John Barrasso, another member of the leadership, did come out and endorse Trump. I think that there are senators out there who, you know, you mentioned Ted Cruz. He's under pressure to endorse Trump. He's running for re-election. It's really fascinating that Ted Cruz isn't coming out and endorsing Trump at this point because he spent most of the years of Trump's presidency sucking up to him. It's a fascinating test. Does Ted Cruz see something politically where he needs to keep some distance from Trump at this point? Because it would seem, if you follow every other Republican around, to make sense that you'd want to get Trump behind you. And you know Trump's not going to be kind to you. He wasn't kind to Ted Cruz when he was running against him. You know he's not going to be kind to him if he doesn't end up endorsing him. So that's a fascinating thing to watch as well. It could also mean maybe Ted Cruz thinks his reelection race is a lot closer than most of the analysts in the country think. Most analysts think that Ted Cruz will win fairly handily, five to 10 points. Maybe Ted Cruz sees a much closer race than the rest of us do. Quick question, House Speaker Mike Johnson, is it time to line him up with a head of lettuce or it's not that dire yet? Wow, the head of lettuce test. I mean, who thought we'd see this again with a Republican speaker? Actually, a lot of us thought that because uh, <laughs> because Mike Johnson, of course, he's inherited the exact same dynamic that Kevin McCarthy had. You know, in retrospect, Kevin McCarthy wasn't that terrible considering the caucus that he had to manage. And Mike Johnson has less experience in managing the politics of his caucus than Kevin McCarthy did. And he appears to be doing a worse job. It is amazing. He's not even 80 days into his speakership and he is absolutely on the verge of being ousted the same way Kevin McCarthy was. It's amazing. Do do you think he is literally in danger of losing his job? Because I got to tell you, I'm not so sure. There were other factors why Matt Gates and others wanted to go after McCarthy. I'm not sure I see what they gain by getting rid of Mike Johnson. I don't think it's the exact same dynamic at all. Obviously, Matt Gates, who was leading the charge last time, had a personal vendetta against Kevin McCarthy. I also don't think many Republicans want to do that again because they couldn't find another speaker and the odds are they're not going to find another one this time either. That's how ungovernable this caucus is. It is an extraordinary situation. So While Mike Johnson benefits from the fact that they already went through this process to get to Mike Johnson and nobody wants to do it again. But keep in mind what's happened. His majority has shrunk down to just two seats. It may shrink even further. It's crazy. Um, He's got literally no margin of error. He's got 18 Republican House members who are in districts that Joe Biden won. By the way, none of those lawmakers in those districts, none of those Republicans have endorsed Donald Trump either. You know, they're trying to keep their distance from Donald Trump. And so the more Donald Trump is on the stage, the more those Republicans in these swing districts are going to try to do things to distance themselves from Trump and from the Republican Party. So no, Mike Johnson's in an awful position. I'm not sure anyone could manage it any better. But what I do know at the same time is he's doing a terrible job. And the reason he's doing a terrible job right now is that over the weekend, he struck a deal with Chuck Schumer and with the White House on a top line spending number, and they struck a deal. Well, already, you know, a few days have passed and already Mike Johnson's backing off on that. His conservative flank members of the House Freedom Caucus think he's going to back away from that deal, that he's going to go back and renegotiate that deal. And you know what that does in politics. That only makes Mike Johnson weaker if somehow he doesn't keep the deal that he willingly struck with Democrats 
they're no longer going to trust him on anything if he doesn't keep his deal. Or if he keeps the deal, he's going to lose the trust of the Republicans. They're under the belief that he's going to back away from that deal. So it's almost like Mike Johnson's trying to tell both sides different stories. And that never ends well in politics. You know, eventually that catches up to you. And that may end up being an example of his lack of experience. The Nancy Pelosi's, the Mitch McConnell's, the Kevin McCarthy's, and I guess the Chuck Schumer's. When you've been doing it for so long and you've built your way up towards leadership, you understand how those levers and what you can and can't do, how far you can go, what you can say to one group and not to another. That might be an example of his lack of experience. The only thing that he has going for him right now. What's that, Chris? As far as I know, he does not have to be in Iowa on Monday night. Have a good weekend, Tegan. Stay warm, Chris.